Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. That's all right. That's all right. God is here. Come on. This is exactly what God wants right now. We don't have to move past this moment. Come on, if you need something from the Lord right now, you don't have to wait. You don't need anybody's permission. Just call on the name of Jesus. Call on his name. in a hurry in church but we need to make way for what God wants to do right now Right now, God, let's... 
let your power sweep in this place. We declare your power. We declare your glory. want the glory of the Lord in this place. Would you clap your hands right now unto the Lord? Hallelujah. Oh, worship Jesus. Hallelujah. My God, we serve a great God. We serve an awesome God. We serve a faithful God. Amen. Amen. You may return to your seats right now. Hallelujah. That's all right. What's going on right here is, is all right. Thank you, Jesus. I believe God is just confirming some things. What God gave me this morning just fits right in line with the theme of what's been going on today. And I do believe anything can happen and will happen if we'll just let God have his way. Amen. Amen. Well, look at your neighbor. Tell him, welcome home. Come on, tell him, welcome home. Don't say it like you want him to go out of the home. Tell him, welcome home. Amen. Amen. How many love being in the house of God? Amen. 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 But we are a strong family of believers that exist to build strong families. And I don't want a weak family. God doesn't want a weak family. There's nothing weak about God. God is strong. He is mighty. Amen. Hallelujah. Before I get started this morning, I do want to take a moment and honor our pastor and our first lady. I know pastor isn't here this morning, but I give honor to him. It's different standing behind this pulpit. There is a weight there is a weight. And I don't take this opportunity lightly or without reverence because this office is important. And I just, not only do I want to make our pastor proud, I want to make God proud. And so I honor them this morning. We have an amazing pastor and first lady. Amen. 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 Last week, when he asked me to preach, I was honored, first and foremost, but also extremely nervous. I'm not used to standing back here. I'm used to standing up there. And teaching is one thing, but preaching is another. And I don't even know what I'm going to do this morning. Preach, teach, treach, I don't know. Whatever the Lord has, amen. But on Thursday, I believe I got some confirmation from the Lord what just happened Right here, we just experienced in worship, I believe, was also confirmation from the Lord. But I met with some of my best friends this week in Virginia. We get together once a year. We try to play a little golf, have a little fun. But we also get to testify to one another about how good our God has been. And I begin to tell my friend Daniel, who they have a child, but they've struggled with a child, having more children. And I begin to tell him how When God said we couldn't have children. And I got three little ones over there. I told him about the testimonies we have in our church, the Russells and, and the others who God has miraculously done, made ways where there is literally no way. God has done it. And so we just testify to one another, sharpen one another, iron, sharpen iron, right? But we get, began to talk about the word of God. And I told him, you know, I was preaching this week. And he told me I'm preach he's preaching next week in Richmond. And we began to talk. And uh, I told him what I was preaching on. He told me what he was preaching on. And I told him I was nervous. And he just told me, one, be myself. I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. <laughs> Amen. But he added this. And this is the part that I needed to hear. The Holy Ghost will do a better job than I could ever do anyway. And I truly believe that. 
And it's right in line with what God wants me to speak today. I needed to hear that. And despite my nervousness, my apprehension, I do believe God has given me a word for somebody this morning. If you will just hear what the word is saying. God has come to encourage somebody today. Tell them, encourage. How many want to be encouraged? Right? He's here to pick you up if you're down this morning. And he's come to remind someone that you will make it through what you're going through. Only if you trust him. So if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn to Zechariah chapter 4? I'll give you a moment to turn there. While you're turning there, I do honor my wife as well this morning. Thank you, baby. Thank you for all your help and support. Thank you. I love you. Appreciate you. Turn to Zechariah chapter 4. And the Bible says, verses 1 through 6, And the angel that talked with me came again, and he waked me as a man is waking out of his sleep. So wake up. Wake up. Don't be lulled to sleep this morning. And the angel said unto me, What do you see? What seest thou? And I said, I have looked. This is Zechariah speaking. I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees are by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I, Zechariah, I answered, that's what I saw. And I spake to the angels that talked with me, saying, what are these? What is this that I'm looking at, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, you don't know what you're looking at. That's what it says in verse 5. Knowest thou not what these be? And the man of God, the prophet unto the Lord, he answered the angel and said, No, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at. But the angel turned and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Would you stretch your hands to this pulpit this morning and pray over this message? God, I pray today, Lord, God, let me decrease and let you increase, God. God, because this moment is not anything about me, God, but it's all about you. And I pray, God, let this word go forth with power and authority, God. Someone today is feeling downhearted, God, and they need to be encouraged, God. They need to know that, God, it's not their might nor their power, God, but it's only by your spirit. And I pray, let this word fall on good ground today. God, let it fall on ears that are ready to hear, God, and apply what you command in your word. God, and would you be glorified in this house? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And just for a few moments this afternoon, I would like to preach simply by my spirit, saith the Lord. By my spirit, saith the Lord. Have you ever tried to accomplish a task, an objective, a dream, anything really, only to feel as if despite everything you've tried, you've gotten nowhere? Anybody? Do I have any help in the morning? You know what that feels like. Young people, do you know what it feels like when you're doing your schoolwork and the, the work requires 10 essays, but you can't even get through one? Come on now, it's hard, it's difficult for those folks that have just come through their semester. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you ever tried, and this is where my wife is blessed, but you tried to clean the house, you tried to do the laundry, and it seems like the laundry has multiplied in front of your eyes. You're like, wow, what is going on? My wife has the ability to accomplish cleaning something in one hour that would take me three hours. She's like, what is taking you so long? And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not making any progress in this area. Some of y'all might relate to this. We are, what, six months into the year. But back in December, we said, this year is going to be different. I'm going to lose some weight. And you tried as hard as you could, 
but you just don't seem to get anywhere. I'm telling you, we're getting to the backside of this thing. You got to start making some progress because we're in June. July is rapidly approaching. Your window of opportunity is getting shorter rather than longer, right? You just tried to do something, but no matter how much effort you put in, it just feels like you've gotten nowhere. And the same is true. Have you ever tried to accomplish something for God? God has told you, this is what I want for you. This is the call of God on your life. This is, this is what God has in store for you, but it feels like you haven't gotten anywhere in that, in that area. Whether it's reaching someone from your family, you know God is going to bring your children back for year after year. You see what they go through and you're like, God, when is it going to happen? I haven't made any progress there. Maybe you've tried to teach a Bible study to someone and you're on week 11. You're like, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to make a difference. But the questions just keep coming and that's the same question we try to answer on week one, Lord. Just, just, it, sometimes it feels like you're just a wheel just turning and not making any progress. And maybe some of you have been in the position I find myself this morning. And you, for the last week, you've been trying to put together notes on a sermon or a lesson. And I just stared at it like it's got to make itself because I ain't making any progress in this thing. But have you ever been there? You know, God has called you to do something, but it seems so far out of reach. It's like, man, God, this is I know it's going to happen, Lord. I know it because you said it, but it just seems so far away, right? For years, this church, we've hovered around 200 to 250 people. Even back on Midway Drive, we've hovered there, and we've had prophets and men of God confirm repeatedly that thousands of people would be reached by living hope. Come on, you guys have heard over the years, right? How many still believe that God is going to come through like he said he's going to come through, Amen. But we stand here as witnesses that although we're in this amazing facility, which is a miracle in and of itself, 40 acres, God has blessed us with, right? Here we stand and, and we know this is only the beginning. We know there is a phase two to our left or my left, to your right. There's a phase three that's in the works that's coming. It's right in front of us, but we just haven't seen it happen yet. And I want to encourage someone today, God didn't give you that task for no reason. He didn't give you the vision that you see that God has for you for no reason. If he's given it to you, don't give up today. Don't lose hope today. Don't stop doing what you know you're supposed to be doing because you just haven't seen it yet. He will make a way even though you can't see it. God is in the business of making ways where there seems to be no way. The hard part, the hard part is that we just have to trust him. Trust him. We serve a faithful God. I said we serve a faithful God. Amen. He's a God that never breaks his word. He never fails. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always on time. The problem is it's not our time. That's, that's the problem. It's not our time. But even if we don't see it, I want you to know he is working. Even if you don't feel it, he's still working. We get caught up in our feelings sometimes. Your feelings are fickle. One day it's great, the next day it's not. Even from children to grown-ups, we're the same. Our feelings get hurt all the time. But God is unchangeable. He's stable. And he's always faithful to his word. But I want you to know every prayer you've prayed Every cry you've cried out to him for, he's heard it. He knows where you're at. And he has the answer. He has the solution. He has the miracle for you. He has it. But it's only in his timing. You see, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. And that's hard to hear sometimes. It's hard to hear that sometimes the problem is it's all, the, it's all the way with us. We like to blame it on other things, but the problem has never been with God. The problem has been with us. Sometimes God, God calls us to tasks greater than anything that we could ever accomplish on our own power. We see that in Scripture. For Moses, his task was to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. For David, 
His task was to slay a giant and then become a king. How do you just wake up and just automatically do that? It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. There's a, there's a process, a timing, right? The prophet Elijah, he was to go up against 450 prophets of Baal to prove how great and how powerful our God is, right? And in our text that we read this morning, there's a man named Zerubbabel. He is also given a task by the Lord. The Bible tells us in this story that he is chosen as the leader for this, or for God's people really. He's chosen to lead this exiled remnant of the people of God from Babylonian captivity back to Jerusalem to lay the foundation for the temple of God. He was ordered to rebuild the tabernacle, to rebuild the house of God. And as I kind of lay a little foundation for this prior to this point in time, God's people, the children of Israel, they had been a rebellious people. They had followed after other gods. They have denied whatever the word of the Lord that came to them. And in their rebellion, God allowed the Babylonians to come in and overthrow them. And there are thousands of God's people that were taken into captivity. And ultimately, the promised land, the, the nation of Judah at this particular time, the, the city of Jerusalem, the Babylonians would come in and they would lay waste to the countryside and eventually they would destroy the temple and take all of the treasures that were within the temple. And what's amazing about this particular period of time, you may not know it, and this is the teacher in me coming out, but many of the books in your Bible were written during this time of Babylonian captivity, containing stories of what the children of Israel had to go through in their captivity. You don't know this. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But Daniel was fed into a lion's den in Babylonian captivity. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them as the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was in Babylonian captivity that the king Nebuchadnezzar threw them into a fiery furnace. All of this happened while this nation of Israel was in captivity to the Babylonians. And the children of Israel would go to spend 70 years as captives in Babylon and Persia. And during that time, our Bible, a lot of the books in the Bible were written. Portions of Jeremiah were written. Portions of Ezekiel were written. Portions of Lamentations were written. Daniel, Ezra, Haggai, that's a weird name to say. Haggai was written. And obviously the word that we spoke or we read this morning, Zechariah, was written. Putting a cap on this restoration when the children of Israel would eventually come out of captivity, we find that Esther and Nehemiah were written. But right in the middle of their circumstance, right in the middle of their captivity, probably the catalyst of the children of Israel returning back to the promised land was this story we find in Zechariah. And as I mentioned, other books were written during this time. And, and again, laying foundation, I want us to look at the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And he put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I want you to think about that for a moment. We have a foreign king, a foreign nation, a foreign ruler, so to speak, that God, our God, not this Persian king's God, but our God charged this man to build him a house. just want to let that settle for a minute. The king says in his proclamation, Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods, with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. I'm going to let that one sink in. Here we have not only a foreign king, 
that is going to build the house of God, but God has also made provision for how it was going to be built. Gold was provided. Silver was provided. Anything they needed, livestock, to get the work done was provided. And then verse 5, it says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, and all those are all them whose spirit God had raised. They had begun to get excited because now they get to go back home. But they got to go back home to, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. I won't bore you with the rest of the scripture, but in the second chapter of Ezra, we get a long list of names of the people who get to return to Jerusalem for this task. And it's here that we find the man Zerubbabel is chosen as the leader of this group of people that are sent back to their homeland. And his ultimate goal was to rebuild the tabernacle of the Lord. And the first point I want to make this morning is this. No matter what task that God gives you, no matter what he's called you to do, the first action is always a call to a greater relationship with him. That's the first action that ever follows a task of God that is given to you. The first action is to always find a place, to build a place, to create an atmosphere where the presence of God can dwell. That's the first action every time. If it's not the first action, I challenge you if you really heard from God. Because he's going to call you to a greater relationship with him first. And I want you to think about this story if you're one of the children of Israel at this time, you've been a captive for 70 years. 70 years is a long time. You were probably born in captivity. You don't know what your homeland looks like. All you've known your whole life has been the world. All you've known is Babylon and the gods of Babylon. Yeah, you may have been taught by your ancestors, here are the things of God. These are the things that we should follow but they never got to see them implemented because they lived in a foreign land. And history shows that they lacked the experiences with God that their ancestors had. Sure, there were outliers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are some outliers. But for majority of them, all they knew were the gods of Babylon. And so they became accustomed to Babylon, which is a type of the world. And it became commonplace for them. They started thinking like the world. They started acting like the world. They started dressing like the world. Their language became like the world because that's all they knew. They didn't know what it was like to live in the promised land. They witnessed sensuality and, and all these things that were thrown in front of their face. It sounds like the world we live in now. They saw this front and center every day that they woke up. And the ideas for what God wanted for them just kind of seemed contrary to what the world wanted for them. But now they get excited because, woo, we get to go back to where we're supposed to live. And so they're back on the path for what God wants for them. And it's crazy to think about this. Their first duty was not to go back home to the promised land to rebuild their houses, to rebuild where they would live. That wasn't what God called them to first. God didn't call them to rebuild their economy because it was in shambles. God didn't call them to rebuild their infrastructure, to rebuild their defenses. To us, that would be the most likely thing if this nation, the United States of America, if we were ever destroyed completely and we were captives to another nation, if we finally got to go back to America, would the first thing we be to build the church? Or would it be to build the stock market? Would it be to build the businesses that we lost? Would it be to build the homes that we used to live in? What would we do in that moment? And this is where often we, must, we make mistakes when we set out to do the task that God asks us to do. Because it's not about what's important to us. It's about what's important to God. God isn't focused on your home or your jobs or your money nor the convenience and the comfort that those things bring to us. You get where I'm going with this. Yes, that stuff may be important to us. Those things also eventually become very, very important to us. But those are earthly pursuits. Those are worldly pursuits. They're not heavenly pursuits. And the truth is, above anything else, God wants a relationship with us. If God has given you a task to do, 
if he's given you a dream to do, if he's given you a vision or a call to do something for him, your first response should always be to make room for the spirit of God to dwell. Make room for God to lead you in that task. Make room for him in your heart. Make room for him in your mind. Make room for him in your attitude. How many know your attitude is a big thing? When someone has a bad attitude, you know it right away. But we need to make room for God to dwell in our attitude. Make room for him to dwell in our spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, what? Don't you know? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? The New Living Translation says what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I've come to tell someone today, if you're struggling, if you're struggling with anything God has laid upon your heart to do, I challenge you, the first thing you might want to get back to doing is rebuilding the place where God should dwell. Focus on building the tabernacle of God. Thank goodness, right? We don't live in a time where we actually have to get out our chisels and our hammers, right? If this building was destroyed and this is the tabernacle of God, we need to rebuild. Thank God we ain't got to get our hammers out and start building. Because that would take a long time. But spiritually, we still need to create a place and a climate where God can dwell. That's why it's important what happened this morning when God just took over for a moment. Because we're making room for him to have his way. Our plans fall second to his plans. Our will's got to get behind his will. Amen. Amen. And if he's calling you to do something... And believe me, he is calling you to do something. Everybody in here, he has called you to do something. First, create an atmosphere where you can follow after the spirit of God. More of him and less of us is always a recipe for success in the kingdom of God. Historians say that it took Zerubbabel anywhere from 14 to 20 years to rebuild the temple. That's a long time. I know it took most, I mean, Noah, what, 100 years, something like that, to build the ark? I can't imagine building anything more than a year. I just finished building my basement, and that took five months. That was way too long. Way, way too long. Anybody with me? The other day, I went to go clean out my garage, and after an hour, I was like, I'm done. I'm just, I'm done. My wife was like, why are you, we're still in this thing. I'm like, baby, I'm, I'm done. You take over. I'm tagging out, you tagging in, all right? 20 years, though, is a long time, and a lot of things can happen in that time. How do you keep people motivated? He was the leader. How do you keep people motivated in 20 years? How many arguments do you think arose in 20 years between the people? The Bible tells us 42,360 people followed Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem. 42,000. How many of them got along on day one, but on day two, they were had looks against one another, right? I don't know about you, but you get more than a few people involved in a project, and before long, you get disagreements. You get fighting between one another. You get offenses that grow between one another. Hello, somebody. It's just human nature, right? It's human nature that after a while, if things don't go the way we thought they would go, problems start to arise. But I want to point out the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The prophets Haggai and Zechariah were both uh, men of God that were messengers to Zerubbabel. And I really want to focus, as we read this morning, on Zechariah's account. But in the book of Zechariah, he receives... This prophet receives multiple visions from the Lord. And in those visions, there's a whole lot that takes place. Prophecy, he talks about the second coming of the Lord. He talks about a whole lot of things. But in chapter 4, we get this visual of a vision that he had. Zechariah chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, And he said unto me, What do you see? And I said, I looked, and behold, I see a candlestick. 
all of gold with a bowl on the top of it, seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to these seven lamps, which are on the top thereof. And beside this candlestick are two olive trees, one on the right, one on the left, that are all interconnected. And so in this vision, the man of God sees a golden candlestick. Again, seven lamps are on this candlestick, and each lamp, if you look into the history of this time or what the candlestick meant to the people of God, you understand that each of the lamps was filled with oil that flowed from the, the bowl on top of the candlestick down into the candle so that the candles could burn. And attached to this bowl in this vision of Zechariah are two olive trees. And I think I have a photo uh, Sister Simone is showing me. Here's a visual of the, of the vision that the man of God sees. This is the best I could find on Google, but you get, the, you get the, the image here. Two olive trees attached, and the olive we know represents the oil, and the oil is flowing naturally from the trees down into the candle, and the candle's lit. And uh, if you can show the other photo in contrast, most of us have seen this when we're praying, but here's a picture of what the candlestick looks like in the tabernacle of God. And so thank you, Simone, for showing that. But in Zechariah chapter 4, now moving to verses 4 and 5, we get an interesting back and forth with the prophet and the angel. The prophet describes this image that we just looked at. And then he asks the question, what in the world am I looking at? That's the question that he asks. Think about that real quick. Here we have the man of God asking the angel, even though he just described to the angel what he saw. But he tells the angel, what am I looking at? How can you describe something but you don't know what you're describing? Isn't that weird? It's kind of like odd visual, right? And the angel asks Zachariah the same question. Don't you know what you're looking at? And I find this point interesting, and, and here's where I'm going with the rest of this message today. But both Zechariah and Zerubbabel, who the Lord was using the prophet to speak to, um, they were definitely learned men, right? They knew what the furniture in the house of God looked like. Zerubbabel himself was the descendant of King David. David is a man after God's own heart. You better believe as the lineage was passed down, the men of God had to have an understanding of the house of God because David was so involved in wanting to be close to the Lord, a man after God's own heart. And, and Zerubbabel was also like right-hand man to the high priest of that time named Joshua. And then we find the prophet Zechariah. He was a man of God, but as the man of God, he had intimate knowledge of the things of God. They both knew the importance of the candlestick in the tabernacle. It was an important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And for those that don't know what the tabernacle is in the Old Testament, it was a type and, 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 and symbolism of, of God. And so in this house, we find a candlestick, and the practical function of the candlestick was exactly what you think about. It was to shed light. It was so that when the priests went into the holy place, it was so that they could see how many of you have ever walked around in, in the dark and you hit something? And you're like, Lord. But if you had a little bit of light, you might have missed out on what you stepped on, right? And so in the holy place, we find what would normally be the golden lampstand or the golden candlestick. And these two men, Zechariah and Zerubbabel, they knew that. They knew what the candlestick looked like. And, and, and if you look at the, the candlestick in Scripture, the priests had to do a lot of work to keep the candlestick shining. Every day they had to make sure it was full of oil. And that's important because in the holy place there were no windows. It was dark. No other light was to be in the tabernacle or else it wouldn't be holy anymore. It wouldn't be holy anymore. And so the light that was provided by this lamp is very, very important. The priest had to make sure that the oil that was used to keep the candle lit, never ran out. That was the priest's job. If the light went out, then, Lord, we were in a tough place because with no light, can you imagine if there was no light in this world, if there was no Jesus, what would your life look like? You'd be internal, in eternal darkness. You wouldn't know where to turn, where to look, where to go. So the candlestick was vitally important. 
And we know if, you, if you've been around the church for a while that the oil represents the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost is lost, so is the fire. I think John the Baptist said that Jesus had come to baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus is the light of the world. You see all this similarity in Scripture just in front of you right now. But there was something different about this candlestick that Zachariah saw in his vision. So different that the man of God who knew what a candlestick in the holy place is supposed to look like, here he is in this vision telling God, I, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. And that's amazing to think about. And the candlestick in his vision was a self-sustaining candle. I want to let that sink for a moment. In this vision that Zachariah saw, the oil that flowed from the trees was symbolic that there would never be a dry season. The oil of God would never run dry in the future. There was coming a day very soon where you don't have to worry about making sure this oil stays full because God is saying, I'm going to make sure I'm going to fill it myself. I'm going to make sure this thing never runs dry. This candlestick and this vision, it didn't need anybody else to look after it. This light from this candle was provided supernaturally through the constant supply that only God could supply, represented in the trees. And this vision, the Bible tells us, was for an encouragement to Zerubbabel, who in his task of reconstructing the house of God, the Bible says he faced mountainous obstacles. His authority was limited by the king of Persia. He could only go so far as the king said he could go. And eventually, throughout his 20 years, he would run short not only on goods, he would run short on manpower. Because like I said, after 20 years, some of the people just gave up. Some of the people said, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not, I'm not seeing enough progress. The Bible says in Haggai, they went back to their homes. They created homes. There was no homes when they first showed up. They were there to work on the temple, but eventually they just start making homes. Ain't that what we do sometimes when things don't go our way? We go to some place that's convenient. We start making ourselves little idols. We start making ourselves little things that make us comfortable instead of focusing on the thing God wanted us to do in the first place. His workers became discouraged over time because, again, people walked away, but they were also attacked by their adversaries. Here are the nations around them saying, whoa, they're rebuilding the temple. Next thing you know, they're going to rebuild their entire kingdom. And so they begin to write letters back to the king of Persia. Eventually, the king comes out and halts all work that is being done. And eventually, it takes God moving on the heart of King Darius to re-kickstart the rebuilding of the temple. But here he is surrounded by hostile people who tried to hinder the work. And the foreigners, again, they would write a letter to the king who would order the work to be stopped for years. And you can imagine with me, after 20 years, there's just a mountain of problems. You can imagine how frustrated Zerubbabel must feel. Not only did I have to spend 70 years outside of where I'm supposed to be, but now it's taken 20 years to do what God has asked me to do. And he's frustrated. He's helpless. He's tried to figure out a way to, to make this thing work. He's tried to figure out how John and Bob could get, get along with one another. But here they are fighting once again. He's trying to figure out how Sue and Sally can make up and not be offended at one another. But here they are in the corner, still offended. And now we can't get things done. And so Zerubbabel is like, what do I do here? What can I do? But God affirms and gives him a message of encouragement. Just as the lamps received a continuous supply of oil supernaturally, so will the temple be finished through not Zerubbabel's might, not Zerubbabel's power, but God said, only by my spirit will this thing get done. And I've come to encourage someone this morning. God will never fail you. He will never fail you. It might take 20 years, but he will not fail you. Because he's given us the most powerful thing we could ever have. And that is the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost today. 
God will make a way supernaturally. It's not by might nor by power, but it's only by God's spirit. Amen. 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 I've come to inform you this morning. Here's something to challenge you. God don't even need your might. He don't need your power. You think you're so good. God needs me. No, he don't need you. He don't need you at all. Can he make use of your might and power? Absolutely. He can do all those things, right? But all he needs is a willing vessel so that the, the oil can flow. That's all he needs. And a lot of times we get bent out of shape because we try to throw more people at the problem. If I just go talk to so-and-so, maybe they'll have an idea. And we try to use our might. Or we try to use our power. We try to force our way to a solution. We don't need any Ishmael's, church. We don't need any Ishmael's. Only Isaac's. We don't need to force our way to making the task of God happen. You don't need to force your way to a solution. You can't think up enough strategies and try to influence a different end to the task God has given you. It can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Just as God was revealing this to Zerubbabel, God is wanting to reveal this to you and me this morning. It is not by might nor by power, but this thing can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. We must learn to trust in God and obey him. We must allow him to work. And not just work, but we must allow him to work in his timing. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, the New Living Translation says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me, Jesus says. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Holy Ghost, we are nothing. We can't do anything. We cannot accomplish what God has asked us to accomplish without the Holy Spirit leading us. And that's officially how it's worded. You can't do anything apart from the Spirit of God. We have to stop acting independent of the Spirit. We got to stop acting independently from the Spirit of God. I know it's easier said than learned, right? Easier said than done, I should say. And you may be wondering, how do I know if I'm acting independently from the Lord? Right? I thought I was on the right track. I set out with good intentions, just like 42,360 other Israelites set out with good intentions. But somewhere in those 20 years, their intentions were twisted. And they began to rely on their own might and power. How do I know if I'm relying on my own abilities rather than God? And I'm hurrying to a close this morning. But those who rely on their own strength and power easily grow fearful in tough circumstances. Are you fearful this morning? Are you scared? Are you fearful of what could happen or what may happen because things just haven't gone your way? The Bible tells us King Saul often was paranoid about his position on the throne because he didn't trust in the Lord's plan or his purpose. The Jews who were rebuilding this tabernacle with Zerubbabel were easily discouraged by the opposition because they were trusting in their own ability to do the work. It took a man of God, to come and remind them about what their purpose should be in order for them to not be fearful anymore. Another way you might know if you're doing things independently of the Holy Ghost is those who rely on their own strength and power often struggle with greed or they lack generosity. I'll let that settle for a moment. King Solomon in his old age Turn from trusting in the Lord to foreign gods. He began to acquire wealth, more and more wealth, but he began to turn more and more like the world. He said along, the Bible says he's the one who built the tabernacle. Solomon's tabernacle is the one that was destroyed and the one Zerubbabel was supposed to rebuild up. 
But the whole reason it was destroyed in the first place was because the king of the Israelites began to struggle with greed and generosity. And lastly, those who rely on their own strength and power lack humility. Often those who trust only in themselves have a heightened view of themselves. The Bible tells us in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was humbled by his pride. And he only was restored as king when he acknowledged the sovereignty of God. And his example shows us how destructive pride can be for those who rely on their own strength. Musicians, you can come. Pastor says that gives you guys hope. I don't know if that's true or not. But you guys can stand with me this morning as I come to a close. And before I finish this morning, there's one more passage of scripture I like for us to read. We read it in Zechariah chapter 4. We read the encouragement that was given to Zerubbabel. The encouragement that is for you and me. Verse 6 says, Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. But here's, we often, we love that verse. How many of you love that verse? Right? We love that verse. And we should, for good reason. But the next verse is the one that I want to end on today. And as we have this altar call, I want you to think about this. Because the prophet tells Zerubbabel, Who are you, great mountain? Who are you, problem that's in my way? When I think that the Holy Ghost is the one that is flowing in me. When the oil is constantly supplied supernaturally. What mountain can stand in your way? What problem can stand in your way? Do you have a mountain of healing that's in your way? A mountain of sickness, I should say, that's in your way. All you can see is the sickness. Do you have a mountain of fear in your way? All you see is fear. I know, God, you've called me to do this, God, but I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how I'm going to make it on my own. Is that all you see? Do you have a mountain of anxiety? This world we live in, COVID-19, craziness, gas prices through the roof. Do you have a mountain of anxiety in front of you? If that's all you see, who are you, great mountain? Because if God is dwelling in me, it's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it's by God's spirit, saith the Lord. And so as we have this altar call today, I want you to speak to your mountain. If you want that mountain to be laid low like a plane, that's what the Bible says. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.